following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to this episode number 784 of I Doubt It Podcast on this momentous celebratory holiday. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Happy eight-year anniversary of I Doubt It Podcast. Yes. Well, I guess in the beginning it was I Doubt It with Dollimore Podcast. Yeah. And then it became I Doubt It Podcast. There is a story behind both of those things. Yes. <laughs> Listen, I, I, uh, I'm very proud to have lasted eight years. Mm-hmm. And and going strong here. Yeah. There's not a lot of independent podcasts out there mm-hmm. who can make the same claim. For a sure. A lot of them, there's a thing in the biz. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Called Pod Fade. Uh-huh. And we never, really, we never really got it. We did go through a period where we dropped from two episodes a week to one for pre- pretty briefly. Mm-hmm. And now we're back at two episodes a week and... Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, a super common thing. Yeah, especially for a independent news podcast. <laughs> yeah, which you know we didn't necessarily start off as that, but we 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 let the show evolve and become what the audience kind of expected or asked of us or demanded of us at times mm-hmm. when we we felt it appropriate, and mm-hmm. that was the the pretty quick shift that we that we made. We went from kind of being skeptics and. I, that's a sarcasm sound. Yeah. To to what we are now, which is really covering the headlines, analyzing policy, talking about the the the, the happenings of the day, mm-hmm. and throwing in the occasional interview, which, by the way, are going to start happening a lot more. We just recorded one. Yeah, and that will be dropping next week. We're very excited about that. So look for the upcoming interview next week. We're gonna the goal for me. And I said we at first, but really it's my goal, (laughs) is to be getting two interviews a month at least. So I have been reading a lot this year. I'm trying to finish more books this year than I ever have. I don't know what that count would be, but I'm, I'm just trying to read as many books as possible and learn as much as possible. There are books scattered throughout the house. And have as many interesting people on the show that I can learn from, that you can learn from, that we can all learn from together. And yeah. I think our first guest of the year of, of 2022 is going to be very well received by the audience. For sure. Yeah. And it's also super topical. It's just great. It's yeah. great. And yeah. it's um, going back to the the holiday that it is. I mean, eight years ago, when you start a podcast in 2014 mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're still going. Yeah. I mean, we've, I'm I'm just I'm I'm very proud. I'm, I'm very 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 happy that we've that we found the success that we have, whatever whatever level of success that that is. It's it's been a good time, and we've we made some relationships along the way. We've built up a or a a, a community has built up around the show, which is also very important to me. Yeah. 
Well, and if we have advice for other podcasters, here it is. Get your ass up and work. All right? (laughs) All right, Kim Kardashian. Not enough people want to work these days. You just got to (laughs) work. Everyone, please know, I'm kidding, and an asshole of today is coming up shortly. That is right. On this very topic. That is right. Because as you know, Jesse, we love to talk about how pivotal luck has been in our life. Even in this endeavor. Absolutely in this endeavor. And that's one of our favorite interviews that we talk about quite often. Yeah. When we had Robert Frank on the show, the author of Success and Luck, The Myth of Meritocracy. That's right. That's, That's the title. Okay. <laughs> By Professor Robert Frank from Cornell University. Yeah. So we, it's important to talk about luck, and we are grateful for the luck that has brought us here as well. And again, just to clarify for everybody who's like, well, you guys do a good job. It's not just luck. We know it's not just luck, but if we're to divvy out a percentage, you know, it's 85% luck. And if you don't meet luck with preparation and hard work, mm-hmm. then you know you're you're really doomed. Mm-hmm. But without the luck, there's there's nothing. I mean, there are people who who stumble into success with no hard work, mm-hmm. <coughs> asshole of today. Um, but to discount luck is just um, nonsense. Yeah. yeah. So thank you to the audience. I mean, we have learned so much in. Eight years, just not not even counting our own personal lives, our own personal experiences, but on this show, interacting with people from all over the world, hearing people inform our own thinking sure. and giving us feedback that helps us grow, helps us learn more. We are really grateful for that opportunity because without the show, I mean, how would we get to talk to people from all over the country? Yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah, so it, it gives us a great opportunity. We love it. We just have to go back to arguing on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Which we do not want to do. But no. let's continue with positive news because we did want to talk about our new dog that we are getting Sweepy. Sweepy. S-W-E-E apostrophe P-E-A. As in the progeny, the the offspring of Popeye. In the cartoon. In the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Not, not our dog. <laughs> obviously, we didn't like freeze sperm or something. Mm-hmm. That would have been a little psychotic. Actually, I don't think we could have even done that because he was fixed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it would have been miraculous. Yes, so we announced it on the Q&A episode, and we haven't talked about it again since then. I think we briefly mentioned it last episode. Yeah, but we've had a few people inquire about what's yeah, happening yeah. with that, and so we wanted to elaborate. And we will be picking up Sweepy. Um, I don't want to get attacked by you, because you've been hearing me add the T on Sweepy. Yeah. and I don't know if I'm in inventing the T that shows up, or you're actually saying it. But I do fly into a rage, I'm and de- people have to run for cover. I am, I'm definitely not doing it consciously, so I'm not trying to provoke you, but you do <sighs> fly off the handle anytime. <sighs> you and this is a warning for anyone who's going to write us about this dog. Jesse will be very upset if you add a T. Do not... <laughs> do not... Do not add a T. So we are picking up... Well, her name doesn't have a fucking T in it. Okay. It's Sweepy. Yeah. All right, continue. <laughs> so, fucking proceed. We're picking her up on March 28th. And once we have her, the onslaught of photos will occur. And that will primarily occur on her Instagram and her TikTok. <laughs> 
which I feel very stupid saying. Well, we Popeye had it in Instagram. That's not dumb. Yeah, and I wasn't in the know enough to give him a TikTok at the time. But there would have been so many great videos of Popeye yeah. on TikTok. Well, also, it's not, I mean, it's just a dog, of course. But also, it's, people want to know. They People are interested in what goes on in our dumb lives. And the, a dog is a big, giant, huge, outsized percentage part of our life. Well, and that's... Why am I making excuses here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't really, I'm not doing it for people to follow it because I mean obviously it's nice to have people interested and care yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's really nice but Popeye's Instagram has been a resource for me to go back me to too. in his absence to remember memories and like stay connected to him yeah, yeah. so it's really a place off of my phone where I can <laughs> accumulate memories that I can go back to Instagram has that feature of like you pin stories to your phone that involve one kind of thing. I don't know how it's done. Story highlights. Story highlights. Right, right. And I went through years of Popeye just the other day, and mm-hmm. it was it was nice. Yeah. It was reminiscing, and it was heartwarming to yeah. use dumb language. But Why is that dumb language? I don't know. I just, I really, it was um, one of the first times I've seen like an extended cut of Popeye's life that didn't bring me tears. Yeah. So it's good. I'm getting, uh, I'm healing. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's an important thing. I think that we are to a good place now where we won't be comparing a new dog to Popeye all the time. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think we're both going into this, like, this is a new dog. This dog is going to be different from Popeye. We are going to accept that, you know, and, and I feel like we're ready to, to take that step. So. And so if you do want to follow her... On on the the Instagram and the and the TikTok. What's what's her name? It is well, <laughs> a la uh, Popeye's Instagram, which was Bully Popeye. Yeah, B U L L Y Bully. It is Bully Sweepy S W E E P E A. Yeah, Sans T Bully Sweepy. Yes, you can follow her there. And there's one picture up. Yep, there is mm-hmm. a cutest shit little alien picture. Yep. Of little puppy sweepy. Yes. So. so we will be adding more of those and we hope you follow along and we appreciate all the interest. We we still get messages about Popeye and we know that the the loss of him really resonated with a lot of people because you also have animals that you care about and that you have lost and we we still get emails of people sharing yeah, yeah. stories of them losing their pets and, and how us talking about Popeye meant a lot to them. So we appreciate that. We also know there's some listeners that hate how much we talk about our personal lives. <laughs> We've read reviews that state as such. So sorry, but we are going to continue to do yeah, that. Yeah, if you don't like that, th- there's an easy remedy around it. Just don't listen to the fucking show. Go elsewhere with your time and your ears. You don't have to listen to me talk about the dog that I love. Well, or you can just skip. You fucking dick. You can just skip past that part you as well. dick. You could just skip it. Just Skip forward. No, no. If you don't like it, do not listen to any part of the show. Okay. (laughs) In fact, if I hear. Oh, here we go. That you don't like me talking about my personal life or my dog. Banned from the show. Oh, here we go. Banned from the fucking show. Not allowed to listen. Breaking out the bands. All right. En masse. 
Before we get to the rest of the program, we want to uh, share a word from this month's sponsor, Aura. Did you know that the average online consumer has 90 accounts? And with those 90 accounts, do you think that the average online consumer has 90 passwords? How many passwords do you have for your various internet accounts? The answer for most people is not enough. If someone were to get a hold of just one of your passwords, they would probably have access to multiple (laughs) accounts. That is definitely the case with me. This lack of password diversity is just one way in which we are all vulnerable to unwanted account access. And where there is unwanted account access, identity theft is never far behind. If you think this cannot happen to you, consider that U.S. consumers lost $56 billion to identity theft in 2020 alone. Well, we here on the show have a solution, of course. We would like to introduce and thank Aura, a sponsor of the show. In one easy-to-use app, Aura will protect you with fraud monitoring, a VPN, identity theft protection with insurance, password management, and antivirus software. Head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it or click the link in the show notes to sign up for your free Sign up for your free two-week trial and join the more than one million people already protecting their digital security with Aura. Aura will scour the web for use of your emails, passwords, and social security numbers. Their robust VPN will anonymously encrypt your personal information and browsing history. Aura will work to fight against malicious malware trying to infect your computer and spy on your activity. And with your accounts connected to Aura, you will be notified four times faster of security concerns than with any of Aura's competitors. When it comes to fraud, every single second matters. Start your free two-week trial. Start your free two-week trial now by clicking the link in the podcast notes or head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it. Aura, your online security depends on it. Thanks to Aura again for sponsoring the podcast this month. We appreciate them and we encourage you to to take take that free offer. Take Mm -hmm. advantage of said free offer. Absolutely. It would help the show greatly. So moving into a little bit of a follow-up, we have been, as steadily as we can, because there is a barrage of news on the front of bigotry across the country in Mm -hmm. conservative states from Florida to Idaho, Mm -hmm. which is what we're going to talk about today with another style uh, of of either the the anti-trans legislation in, in Texas, the don't say gay bill in Florida, and now they're doing the same goddamn thing in Idaho. Yeah, the Idaho House on Tuesday passed HB 675, which is a bill to make it a felony to provide gender care to transgender youth, including hormones. During the debate of the bill, there were numerous falsehoods uttered by Republicans. So we wanted to play an interview with an Idaho doctor that actually treats transgender youth so that these falsehoods that were uttered can be challenged by a professional who actually does the work. Well, Brian, I spoke to Dr. Marvin Alviso, rather, from Family Medicine Residency of Idaho in Boise. And they have three transgender clinics in Idaho, two in Nampa, and one in Boise. And while he couldn't speak to the other clinics, he spoke for the patients that he's been seeing. There are over 400 of them going through gender transitions. As we speak, 40 of them are under the age of 18. 
somebody who comes in at 12, 13, not yet in puberty, we do nothing on these patients. Uh, we, we do what we call social affirmation. So if they want to change their um, name to more masculine, more feminine, more comfortable, they want to introduce a different form of pronoun to use. Those are the things that we support in that. Yeah, and that's one of the first steps. He says the reason they don't do anything is because they wait until children are at the age of puberty to interview them and start the blockers. But Representative Skog, author of the bill we heard yesterday, says otherwise. Children as young as 11, 12, 13 are getting puberty blockers, which are inserted surgically. They're not inserted surgically. It's an injection. There is a, a medical condition called central precocious puberty. So it exists in, in medical science. So I myself, I have, I have a niece who has central precocious puberty. So they start puberty at the age of seven or eight. So very they, young. Uh, very young, they start menstruating. They have like chest development already. So your goal is to stop this puberty until like they're old enough so you're just pausing puberty after about four months they are usually sterilized for life that's a permanent decision we are not um sterilizing them so we're just putting a pause in, on their puberty so that when they're old enough to undergo puberty once we stop the medication their puberty ensues in like three to four months so it's the same concept that we're using in in children who are transgender or gender diverse we're putting a pause in their puberty until they're old enough to kind of know like more like now that they experience it they ha don't have to undergo this painful puberty uh, that they do not want to begin with, then that decreases like their gender dysphoria, they become more functional, and I think that's one less thing for them to worry. And he says of his 40 youth transgender patients, 14 of them are currently on puberty blockers. Once a child has been on puberty blockers for about two years, by 16 years old, that's when crossed sex hormones or hormone treatments are introduced. And from that point on, the patient is monitored every three or six months to make sure they are not having any negative side effects. He says it's important to start hormone treatment at that age for a number of reasons. By the time you're 17 or 18, like you have the features already that you don't want. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to avoid like for them to, to uh, for, for people who's transitioning female, we're trying to avoid for them to have that masculine features, which will be very hard to to stop once it's in there already. So we know that these medications with counseling, with medication, that these will help alleviate um, the, the very tumultuous like puberty that children already um, undergo. So imagine if you're a transgender undergoing puberty and then with this like gender dysphoria as well, it's too much. And then the least we can do would be like help them thrive in a better environment so, um, so they can proceed as normal, as much as normality that they can. This is a very, this is a very dear topic for me because I've been, I've, I've, I've been doing this one for the past seven years and I've seen improvement in all facets of life with these patients and stopping this puberty, like you are driving these patients to commit suicide. Yeah, so it's tough to hear. And Brian, we heard a lot yesterday about procreation, right? And what does this do to fertility? Well, according to him, he says before any treatment starts, patients are asked if they want to save or freeze their sperm or egg cells for future fertility use. He says even in his seven years of doing this, he's only had one patient regret their decision to go through this transition process. 
So Republicans using strong language like mutilate, sterilize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, that is not the case. And all you have to do is talk to experts. But the Republican lawmakers are not interested in talking to experts. It is. I mean, that's what it is. They're, they're, they have no interest in science. They have no interest in data. They have no interest in even hearing from people who are experts in this field, mm-hmm. scientists, mm-hmm. they they feel a certain way and they tell their lies. Well, and in 2021, last year, uh, the American Medical Association urged governors to oppose bills that restrict access to gender-affirming care. Saying, and what's the, what's the American Medical Association know? Well, and that's what you, the, the specific Republican that you heard talking in that clip, that the doctor was correcting all of the misinformation that he yeah, was yeah. saying, he said during his defense of the bill that there wasn't enough evidence to suggest that gender-affirming care had an impact on mental health. So he's just disregarding the mountain of evidence that indicates that providing gender-affirming treatment for transgender kids who are, who are at a greater risk for self-harm and suicide, that it is beneficial to their mental health. And this bill actually carries with it up to life sentences for doctors who do treat these kids. The propaganda and the lies, though, is is really what is very concerning to me because people listen to these politicians and, one, it, it continues to stigmatize the trans community in Idaho. And just because it's Idaho and it's some conservative fucking hellscape, and it is, doesn't mean that gay and trans people don't exist there. The same percentages of of gay and transgender uh, Americans are going to be born year after year after year, no matter where they live. And so it creates a hostile, born into a hostile environment for people who are already stigmatized, who are already at risk. And it makes it worse in states where it is a state-sponsored discrimination, state-enforced bigotry just fucking gross. Yeah, so it's it's a really scary time because Idaho is actually the fourth state to be uh, moving forward on legislation like this. Texas, Arkansas, and Tennessee are the other three states. And I've seen a lot of people in Idaho saying, this is the last straw. I, yeah. want, I want to leave this state. I, I can't be in this state anymore. And I mean, a lot of people can't just pack up and leave. I mean, you're seeing that in Texas where they have labeled now trans affirming care as child abuse yeah and families can't just pick up and leave and go to a different state it's uh it's a tragedy yeah it really is uh we'd love to hear from you on this 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com all right moving on Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, breaking news yesterday was that there was a major error. Roughly 19 million people undercounted, miscounted in this last census, which, of course, was a Donald Trump administration constitutional duty. 19 million people, and guess what? The surprise is it was all white people who were undercounted. 
No. I, I'm looking at you like... No, um, it was not. Of course, it was black and brown and indigenous people who were undercounted, miscounted, and you gotta believe that it was intentional. Well, and white people were overcounted. Of course they As were. well. And so people wonder, what does this mean? And I think that there's a straightforward explanation to be found in PBS's Census Pro, Hansi Lo Wang. In both of these areas, for kids and also for different racial groups in this country, can you help us understand what's at stake? What does the miscount in the census really mean in real lives? When we're talking about the census, we are talking about power. We are talking about money. These are the numbers used to reallocate each state's share of congressional seats, electoral college votes. They're being used to redraw voting maps for every level of government across the country. And these are numbers used to help guide the distribution of some $1.5 trillion a year for health care, for transportation, for education, almost all public services. And so when there are these racial inequities baked in, in terms of the accuracy of these counts, you're going to have racial inequities baked into the decision-making, into how power, political power is shared, how how federal funding is shared. And, you know, we're not even talking about how researchers, businesses rely on this data to have just a basic general understanding of who is living in the United States of America. And based on these uh, undercount rates and overcount rates of the census put out today it's it's another point of evidence here that these numbers aren't true reflections of exactly who is living in the country hansi in our last 30 seconds or so what next are these numbers final i know some groups are thinking about court action but are these numbers final now well, these numbers have already been used to reallocate those congressional seats, electoral college votes. They're already being used to redraw voting maps. Uh, the Census Bureau, one of the Census Bureau officials did confirm to me today that the Bureau is looking into possibly doing some more research and how to use these over and undercounting rates and to factor them into upcoming population estimates. And those estimates help guide how the, that federal funding is distributed. So that could have uh, some potential impact here on uh, maybe a more equitable distribution of federal funding. Uh, but it is a real big question of just how a lot of local communities, uh, when they look at their numbers and they feel like they're not quite an accurate reflection of who's living in their in their communities, it's a big question of what actually can be done beyond waiting for the 2030 census. Hansi Lo Wang, NPR, and our census guru, thank you so much. So this is the primary reason behind the importance of an accurate census and that is the political power and the federal money that gets distributed over a trillion dollars a year and so when you hear people talk about how racism is no longer a problem today yeah you they're missing so many things so many things about reality but this is also a key thing that i think is under recognized yeah and it is that if you are not being accurately counted in your community then you are going to be missing out on political power and federal money that is due to that community. But it's also like an official disrecognition, Mm -hmm. derecognizing individuals in our country. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it really does go to show what a fucking freak show Donald Trump's administration was from top to bottom. And what a bummer it is that the census fell during his term Mm -hmm. one more reason that elections matter and it shows just how much they do matter Mm -hmm. just hopefully 
the the Census Bureau will be able to use the, the these data that they have uh, about the undercounts and overcounts and incorporate them into numbers going forward. Uh, who knows what kind of a court case and, and what kind of ramification that's going to have on congressional districts and everything else, but we will most certainly be continuing to follow this. Well, and right now, this is just national data, looking at the accuracy of the data on a national level, and the state-level report is due this summer. Yeah, yeah. so uh, a lot of numbers. I mean, it's going to take a lot of statisticians and people who are experts in this to break it all down, and at least we have adults in the room now mm-hmm. at the helm who are not um, maliciously trying to twist. Because they, listen, there was controversy from the very beginning with Donald Trump and them pulling some bullshit. So uh, even the post office got involved with Louis DeJoy. So I mean, it was a concerted effort to to fi- have the results be what they are, and. I hope there is some legal ramifications that can be can be found. So, again, we'll be following the story for sure. Uh, the other thing that just broke is Merrick Garland, who I've been critical of, uh, mostly <laughs> on YouTube, but I've been critical of uh, the, the the seeming lack of attention to consequence for Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump Jr. and all of these disparate ding-dongs who, one, had outsized roles in the insurrection, the planning, the orchestration of, uh, the seeming conspiracy that was involved with the the fake uh, state electors across the country, but also, you know, crimes related to his obstruction of justice that was outlined in the Mueller report, uh, the extortion scheme that we witnessed in the transcript of the Zelensky call. So many things that Donald Trump has done that are just fucking criminal. And not within the bounds and scope of his duties as president of the United States. Well, now you can relax, Jesse, because Merrick Garland has come out in an interview with NPR and said that the January 6th investigation will not end until everyone is held accountable. Yeah, well... (laughs) You feel feel assured, right? Yeah, I mean, well, listen, it, it is, it's something... But if, if we're going to go back just a few episodes to our response to the State of the Union, it's show me, don't tell me. But it is good to finally hear from him. He does very few interviews. And at least in this one, he does indicate that he understands the important, the, the importance, excuse me, of the investigation. Now there are some big questions about whether Merrick Garland is going to investigate Donald Trump. And he answered very carefully. Look, we follow the law and we follow the facts and we follow them wherever they go. Um, that's, that's our one rule. The Capitol riots on January 6, 2021, cast a long shadow. Just that morning, the Biden campaign announced that Garland would be his nominee for attorney general. But that news was upstaged by images of a violent mob clashing with police. 140 officers were injured that day. Five people died. People are working every day, 24-7, and are fully aware of how important this is. This had to do with the interference with the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to another, and it doesn't get more important than that. It's good to hear him say that. Is it? That it does not get more important than that. Again, it is just him saying it. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to see some action. And mm-hmm. and and if... This, in the spirit of the interview, if, if everything taken into context comes to fruition, 
I think we're going to be happy about consequence for Donald Trump and the fact that there is equal justice under the law because that's that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. This isn't about political retribution. I mean, I would be happy to have Donald Trump not be a name that's spoken ever fucking again. That would be great Mm -hmm. and have no legal consequence. That's fine if he would just go the fuck away. Mm -hmm. But there are more important things like our actual dedication to equal justice under the law. Yeah equal protection under the law Mm -hmm. and if you're rich and you're powerful and you're connected and you can just get away with anything and us lowly regular citizens and we have to be held to account what the what the fuck is that (laughs) so in this next clip it is directly about going after trump Garland has vowed to track down everyone responsible for January 6th, whether they busted into the Capitol or helped fund or incite the attack. But he's been reluctant to address how the Justice Department is treating former President Trump. Congressional investigators recently asserted Trump could be charged with conspiracy and obstruction. I asked Garland about concerns from Democrats in Congress and even some of his friends that the DOJ would be too wary of a firestorm to move high up the chain of responsibility. Look, um, I want to be clear about this. Uh, We are not avoiding cases that are political or cases that are controversial or sensitive. What we are avoiding is making decisions on a political basis, on a partisan basis. And I think that that's, that's good, that's fair. I guess it leaves the lingering question of what, what are reporters, what, are the, what is the general public missing that they don't have yet? Like, obviously, they're waiting on some additional evidence. And you have Adam Schiff saying, I mean, we're, we're doing all this work. We encourage them to start taking action and not wait for us. Right. We have we have some evidence that we have been putting out, but they don't need to wait for us to finish. Yeah, what bothers me about the way he phrased that is we're not going to we, we're 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 being careful about making decisions that are politically that have a political basis or a partisan that are that are partisan. I'm more afraid that he's going to not make decisions based on people's perceptions of partisanship. Mm-hmm. Where listen, if there's evidence there. And it goes to trial, and a jury hears the evidence. It's not fabricated. It's not partisan. If the crime was committed, prosecute. Take it to court. Let the jury decide. Also, the accusation is going to be there regardless. Yeah. They call Joe Biden Bernie Sanders. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That more than anything, you're right. That, that is it. They're going to cry and wail that it's partisan and political no matter what. Yeah. So just go where the facts lead you. And we've all, as a country, collectively witnessed the fucking facts. We read the transcript. We watched Donald Trump be president for four years. We watched (laughs) him admit that he did what he did for the reason he did it, whether that be firing Comey or whether that be the call with Zelensky. I mean, he's admitted it. Anyway, this last clip, it does kind of, for me, bring into context that this investigation is... In the middle, whether it be at the halfway point or not, mm. it is in uh, undergoing. It's it's 
in progress, we'll say, since I can't find the fucking words. So far, the Justice Department has charged 775 people with crimes related to the Capitol riot. This week, it won the first jury conviction and charged the leader of the far-right Proud Boys with conspiracy. The FBI seems to be homing in on a meeting between leaders of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers militia in an underground parking garage the day before the attack. This is the most urgent investigation uh, in the history of the Justice Department. It is the most resource intensive. We've thrown 70 prosecutors from the District of Columbia and another 70 around the country. Every FBI office, almost every U.S. attorney's office in the country is working on this matter. The attorney general says he doesn't know whether they're near the halfway point in that investigation. Particularly federal prosecutors, we begin with the cases that are right in front of us uh, with uh, uh, overt actions, um, and then we build from there. And that is a process that we will continue to build uh, until we hold everyone accountable who committed criminal uh, acts um, with respect to uh, January 6th. Now, this was Carrie Johnson interviewing Merrick Garland. Carrie Johnson with NPR. I just wanted to give her a shout out. It is hope giving, interesting to me, could be positive that he's saying that. I, I mean, he's explaining how it works that we've got these cases. We're going to work the cases that are in front of us that are the most um, obvious that the, the, the crimes are there, the evidence is there. And then in the course of those investigations of bringing those, 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 those cases to, to a judge, to a jury, um, that we're going to find out, out other things. And then there might uh, be other investigations that come about. And then those things are also going to be followed. So he's like, well, the most important thing right now is what we know. Mm-hmm. And if we find other things out uh, in the course of those investigations, we're going to follow those too. So this is good news. But again, it's a show me, don't tell me. Yeah. And we'll see. And listen, uh, people bitch at me on YouTube all the time about just giving the benefit of the doubt. Uh-uh. Because once they're gone and it's too late, or once they're gone, it, it is going to be too late to be like, oh, well, I guess we should have put the pressure on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do it in advance, try to get people fired up about it enough mm-hmm. to, to also put pressure on them. And then if, if I'm wrong and they are in the middle of it, then fantastic. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's lost. Yeah. But if we, we if we sit on our hands and nothing gets done, it'll be too late. Well, and it does seem like this interview was an opportunity for him to respond to that criticism that he has been receiving. I know The Daily Show just did a video, I think, yesterday that I was seeing on Twitter that was pretty popular. So there has been a growing concern among Democrats, liberals, people who want to see there be consequences. And I think he is hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news is with this conspiracy charge against Enrique, Enrique Tario, the, the leader, the former leader of the Proud Boys, is he's, a, he's an FBI informant. He's a rat anyway. So that guy's going to flip. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I have a very high level of confidence that that guy is a moral coward and a weakling and isn't going to stay loyal to his friends or his colleagues, if you will. He's going to flip, and uh, there's going to be a lot of information come out of that guy. So Mm -hmm. they're going to put the screws to him. Again, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, we welcome your emails and your voice voice memos to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of 
of today. Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. And this is, I think, the first time that Kim Kardashian has been an asshole of today. We don't often talk about the Kardashians on the show. Maybe the first time that we have talked about the Kardashians on the show. Well, I hate to break it to you, but in the spirit of talking about the evolution of the show, I was going to tell you that the next stage in that evolution is to be a Kardashian fan show. Oh. fan podcast. Okay, like a Keeping Up with the Kardashians review show. I was hoping to name the show Keeping Up with Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And if there isn't already a podcast named that... (laughs) Someone needs to start that. That's a real missed opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you just come up with that? Yeah. That is very impressive. You think I, I study what I'm like, I got to come here. So I got to write my jokes. A regular fucking Don Draper over here. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> So, Kim Kardashian, the Kardashian family, did an interview with Variety magazine. And I guess they're promoting a new season of the Keeping Keeping Up with the Kardashians show. And if- First of all, who the fuck would want to keep up with this spoiled brat bunch of millionaires? All right. So they were promoting the show. And during a segment of the interview, Kim Kardashian was asked if she has advice for women in business. I have the best advice for women in business. Get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. You That's have to, so true. You have to surround yeah. yourself with people that want to work. Have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life. No toxic work environments and show up and do the work. If you're the smartest person in that room, you've got to go to another room. Like you don't, I want to be around really successful people because that's going to drive me to be successful. A lot of people get intimidated to be in a room full of smart thinkers, wealthy people, whatever it is. I want to be in that room. Because it also in, like scares you to want to be like to be like the motivates you and inspires person. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I gotta hustle. So <laughs> I, I think also because you see everything on social media and you think oh it's just a lifestyle or oh it's like really quick and easy and you can just post something and it's not easy when you do product shots when you do post things that are work related <laughs> posts it's still a job and it's still really hard and success is never easy. So you just if you put in the work you will see results. It's uh, so wow so much there I, I haven't heard the, the whole clip yeah there's a lot there and i want to before we move on i want to hone in on how <laughs> when kim says no one wants to work these days you hear a that's so true in the background and that person is courtney kardashian who has some thoughts about work be on time i think it's like everyone understanding that we all have different priorities and like working is just it's not my top priority it's it's never going to be you were leaving do the fucking work uh actually and what's that that was from the show years ago yeah so i wouldn't have been able to find this clip without people commenting on the interview of kim kardashian about courtney kardashian saying this because i i haven't ever watched the show right right but i thought that that was very funny that she <laughs> says the phrase working is not a priority for me well of course it's not when you're born a millionaire Yeah, I mean, I just, these are not the people to be taking advice from. They were born into a family where they already had wealth. Fantastic wealth. I I, I saw a figure that when her dad died, he was worth $30 million. 
Yeah, so that in and of itself, I mean, imagine even if you don't have access to the money, like even if you are told that you aren't going to have access to the money, you're still growing up in a family where you never have to worry about the rental payment being made. You never have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. You have everything taken care of and that creates a sense of security in you and allows you to develop in a certain way that other people are not able to have when they're growing up in impoverished environments. It also offers you access to that particular class of people, socioeconomic, uh, that class. So her name carried with it cachet. They knew who she was. Mm -hmm. It's the same with like Anderson Cooper, who does verge on talking about he's totally self-made and he didn't inherit anything and his parents paid for his college, but that was it. He verges there too because you're you're in the Vanderbilt lineage. Your your mom was Gloria Vanderbilt. And I don't want to veer off topic here and and start talking about Anderson Cooper, who I love. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is this weird blind spot for uh, fantastically wealthy people mm-hmm. who think that they're working their asses off. I I would venture to say that Kim Kardashian has never done a day of work in her entire life. She was a, a rich kid. Well, I mean, I think that it depends on how you define work. And, and I think that that can be debated. What does hard work look like? And I think if you asked 100 people you would get many different answers because there's different types of work that can be hard, right? Like some people that are, I remember when I was 16 and I was on my hands and knees cleaning grout and getting (laughs) grease out of drains at a restaurant that I thought that that was something that I didn't enjoy and want to continue doing. Like I would say that that's hard work, but then also working in an office as a therapist for a government agency where you're doing a lot of paperwork and you have a very high caseload, that can also be really hard work. Of course. Neither of those things or anything related to that Kim Kardashian has ever done. Well, and the thing that I think is important here is that there are people who are going to work hard for the rest of their lives and they are never going to see even a hint of the monetary success that the Kardashian family has. Right. And so the audacity of someone in her position with generational wealth who will never have to be concerned with money, her kids will never have to be concerned with money, for her to say, get your ass up and work, it is very insulting because people are, people are getting their asses up and working every single day and they are fighting tooth and nail to make it. And they're still not making it. Well, and that's not their fault. It's that, that's it. It's that that is not the, the be all end all answer. Well, you got it. You want to be successful? Work. Right. Because many, many, too many people work and never end up successful. They yeah. never end up with the, even a fraction, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the wealth that she enjoys. Yeah. So, 
Not great. Also, there were a lot of people when this went viral tweeting about their personal experiences working for the Kardashian family. Oh, yeah. In unpaid internships and things like that. So a lot of jokes being tossed around about how they can't find anyone who doesn't want to work for free anymore. Or, you know, (laughs) who knows what was motivating the nobody wants to work anymore? Because I I think you made this point, Jesse. Like, what what is she talking about when she says that? Who is it that doesn't want to work anymore? Anymore. Also, like, who is who? Who's the audience for this? Like, do, do does she? Are they? I mean, it seems to me that they're not surrounded by anyone but rich people. Like, what what poor people or under underprivileged people are they on a, in a day to day basis connected to? Mm-hmm. All of their people are generationally well wealthy. I would say. I mean. I, I, that, I'm not saying that unequivocally, but it seems like the the preponderance of their associates are, you know, sickeningly wealthy. Yeah. So as much as possible, you know, you can pick and choose who you reward in this life. And I genuinely go out of my way to not purchase products that are from any of the companies from the Kardashian family, because this is kind of a toxic way to express advice for people when you come from what you do. And, you know, Kylie, we have talked about her on the show. She may have been asshole today when she was labeled by Forbes as a self-made billionaire, the the world's first self-made billionaire. Which also ended up being wrong because the overinflated value of her company was, I don't want to say fraud, but it wasn't honest. And then they removed the billionaire marker from her. She's not even a billionaire at all. Well, when you're gifted with a marketing platform in that you are a child growing up on a show on E! And you have a network of older family members who already have established media presence online. It it becomes very easy for you to latch onto that and to grow your empire. So I just, I I want to reward people... that are able to recognize their luck and that talk more about those things and that focus more on how life is really difficult and complex and it isn't as simple as as get up and get to work. Yeah. Because people do that every day. For sure. We would love to know, to have your feedback on this particular, uh, this particular topic as we reach the end of the show and my inability to speak, this eighth anniversary show. <laughs> Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Listen, on this eighth anniversary, we want to say that we love you guys. We appreciate all of your loyalty and your listenership, all of your interactions with the show, uh, all of you who are either at one point or still or new to, to supporting the show monetarily through Patreon. Uh, it is a a humbling thing. Yeah. Not only the longevity of the show, but more importantly, the community that is built up around the show. And we uh, we cannot say enough. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And having said that, we will see you next time for Brittany Page. I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt. It.